Uh, can you imagine going to an 80-year-old man and demanding that he be conformed to the image of a young superstar football player with the idea that he might make the same moves and exhibit the same physical power? Can you imagine that? Or how about asking a young boy or girl who have never even picked up an instrument to be conformed to the image of a world-class renowned musician and possess the same skill, capability, and sensitivity musically? Going to an 80-year-old man, point to the... I want you to be conformed to his image. Think about that for a second. Now, the reason these two expectations seem unrealistic is based on how you understand the phrase, conform to the image of. Conformed to the image of. We hear that phrase and we tend to imagine that the expectation is to be able to mimic every move down to the finest articulation of it. That's what usually enters the human imagination. The idea that you can do just as somebody did. Are you following me? To perfectly do the same actions, the same way and with the same finesse as the person you're asked to conform to. But is that the real point of the phrase? Is it the real point of the phrase? Now, when it comes to the idea of being conformed to the image of Christ, this can get even more complicated to consider depending on the way we're interpreting the phrase, being conformed to his image. Jesus was perfection. He never sinned. He didn't commit any mistakes along the way. He did not speak sinfully to anybody. He never yielded to the enemy. He did his father's will perfectly and completely. He was morally perfect with regard to the law. If you are looking at conformity in the sense that you must do everything he did exactly the way that he did it, then you're likely to be disappointed with yourself. Have you raised the dead yet? Have you healed the lepers yet? Have you caused the blind to see yet? The deaf to hear yet? The dumb to speak yet? Have you walked on any water lately? Have you fed a few thousand people with just a couple of loaves of bread and a few fishes? Are are you understanding what I'm saying here? The way you understand the phrase... Be conformed to his image is vital to how disappointed or sense of I'm on track you're going to experience. Because if you think you've got to be able to do everything that Jesus did, now I'm not saying there can't be miracles that we can't do. Jesus said, those that believe in me uh, uh, who have not seen me, greater things than I have done, they shall do. He made that statement. And there are people who have raised the dead, seen the dead raised. I have some friends who have had that experience. They know what that's like. 
I, I've seen people get healed. I've seen, I, I, when I was selling insurance door to door, I laid hands on a woman who had a tumor so big her head leaned over. She was a very large woman in a trailer. She had a massive tumor. I laid hands on her. The tumor disappeared. She got up, began bouncing in the, in the trailer, and I was fearful for my life that the trailer was going to collapse on us. When a miracle like that happens, people can't contain themselves. It's not a, oh, well, thank you. Uh, it doesn't happen that way. You know what I'm saying? So you have to kind of, you're not prepared for the kind of reactions you get when you see the supernatural power of God pouring out over somebody's life, and they really do get it. Now, that's one thing. But how many believers do you know that walk in that every single day of their life? They just walk around laying hands on people and watching things happen like this on just a regular place. It, it's, 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 it's so uncommon. You've got churches that are gathering and having prayer and fasting and everything to try to get it. Are you hearing me? There's a longing for these things. Why is that longing there? Because there seems to be somewhat of an absence. More than there is a demonstration. Correct? So if you're taking the conform to his image and you're making it about everything that Jesus did, you're going to be highly disappointed with yourself. This idea of conformity to Christ is brought to our attention in the passages that we find, for instance, in Romans 8. If you'll go there with me to Romans 8, we're going to read verses uh, 20, 26 through uh, 31. But if we were to read the preceding verses... What you would discover about Romans 8 is, is if I call it the relationship chapter of Romans. It is the relationship chapter of Romans. We pick it up in verse 26, and it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. Did Jesus ever have a problem praying? Well, if you've got a problem praying, you're not conformed to his image if you think that you've got to do everything that Jesus did. <laughs> See what I'm saying? I'm going to keep bringing that out because I've got I to get a point across this morning that's going to really help you. We don't know how, what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You'll never get a better intercessor than the Holy Spirit in your life. The person who in this life claims your mama can't intercede for you better than the Holy Spirit can intercede for you, okay? Your granny can't intercede for you better than the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. He's always interceding for you according to the will of God. Now, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, look at how all of this is spoken of in a past tense form. It's a done deal, right? But what I love 
I, I love the way that this def- defines the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives as it pertains to the will of God and the matter of conformity. It's a high calling to be asked to conform to the image of Christ. Whew. You know, people love it. People love it. They, you know, uh, what they want to say, what would Jesus do? It just sounds so noble to say that or to ask that, right? What, what would Jesus do and, and, and all of that? And then when they really get into it and they start looking into who Jesus was and the way he carried himself and the way he did the ministry that he did and, and the way he loved his mama and the way he honored his father and the way that he was just sold out entirely to the will of the father, even to the point of death. And then they hear the term conform to his image and they're like, that's a pretty high calling. I got to go through Gethsemane. I got to go to the cross. I got to go to the tomb. That's a high calling, right? I love how this speaks of how the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And what it's saying there is not that I'm going to make you a mirror image of Jesus Christ in all of his actions. It's not what it's saying. He even helps us in our prayers because we're weak in that regard as well. If we can't even pray as we ought, how are we going to die as we ought? How are we going to get through Gethsemane as we ought? How are we going to be able to say, Father, we, we struggle with saying, Father, forgive them. They, they, they don't know what they're doing to me. Look how unjustly they're treating me. Look how mean they're being to me. Look at the things they're saying. They're lying about me. They're trying to ruin my reputation, Father. And we struggle with all this stuff so profoundly, so often. The boss didn't give me the raise I deserve. The teacher gave me a bad grade. I tried so hard. That person cut me off in the Walmart aisle and got the last loaf of bread. <laughs> they did call for snow. Anything can happen, you know. It's a danger zone out there right now. It can be anywhere from zero to 85 inches. You better be ready. So much starts to happen when all kinds of chaos starts occurring in the world. So much that feels like total injustice, total whatever you want to call it. And we struggle. We struggle. Let's get honest. We struggle to know how to say the right thing or do the right thing. All that goes with the territory. We can feel slighted just as easy as somebody without Jesus can feel slighted. We can run the risk of getting bitter just as easily as somebody without Jesus can get bitter. If that weren't possible, there'd be no, no in, uh, admonishment in the scripture about avoiding the root of bitterness. Whereby springing up. Come on. We're even weak in our prayers. I love that he intercedes for us according to the will of God for us. And I enjoy that because I don't assume he prays useless prayers that go unanswered. You believe that? 
Do you think the Holy Spirit can pray a prayer for you that will go unanswered? I don't think he can. I believe he prays effectual prayers. And to me, that's reassuring. And it's very relational and faithful, too. Because he's praying these prayers when we can't. You ever had one of those times where you knew you ought to be praying, but you're in a struggle place. You're on the struggle bus. You know? You're just riding the struggle bus downtown to the worst part of town. Right? And you're, you, you, you know you need to pray. You know there's something you need to cry out to God for, but you can't bring yourself to do it. Am I the only one who's ever been there? <laughs> I've had friends before say, you just need to pray. Well, that's easy for you to say. As if they're super saint. They always got their prayer on. Liar. You just lied. You're just as human as anybody else is. Come on. I love it. In the ministry, it's kind of funny because people imagine you probably never struggle to pray. Oh, <laughs> don't kid yourself. <laughs> I battle maybe even harder than you do sometimes because I got an enemy that don't want me to be able to pray. He doesn't want me to be able to connect with the Father. If he could have his way, I'd never hear anything from God. Right? right? So I understand it. And I am so thankful we have the Holy Spirit who helps us in our time of weakness in prayer and intercedes for us according to the will of God. Now, I don't know if that reassures you this morning, but it sure does me. Now, so important is the role of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Jesus said the following to his disciples regarding the Holy Spirit when he had informed them that the time was near that he must go to the Father. Can you imagine these guys? They've been walking for all this time with Jesus. They're thinking, man, Messiah's going to establish his kingdom. Woo, baby. About to get good up in here. And then he starts telling them, I got to go away. I'm going to my Father. And where I'm going, you can't come right now, but eventually you, you will. He starts rocking these guys' world. Could you imagine you just got married and, and you still feel like you're in the honeymoon mode? <coughs> and the person you're married to says, I got to go away. And you can't come. <laughs> See, if you look at what Jesus is saying, these guys is just a bunch of buddies. You miss the impact of his statements upon their hearts. This is deep, profound relationship. Very deep, profound relationship. So in John 16, verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. You know what Jesus is saying? 
He's saying the one who has been benefiting me all this time. It is vital that he be able to come to you. And for him to come to you, I got to go. I got to leave. So that I can send him. See, that's why we have verse 28 in Romans 8. You'll notice how the phrase, quote unquote, we know is used there. We know. Paul is speaking by the Holy Spirit and affirming truth that is both sound and reassuring. We know something. He speaks to someone who knows without a doubt that what is being uttered is absolutely true and reliable. What is so reliable? All things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now notice, it does not say all things work together for good to those who love God and can answer in the strength of their flesh his desire. It just says they're called. They're called. Remember, in this same passage of Scripture in Romans 8, those he predestined, he called. Then he did some other things. He justified. He justified. He sanctifies. He glorifies. Doesn't say you do it. It says he does it. And I love that. Because if he doesn't do it, it ain't going to happen. If it's left to you and me, we got, we just, we got these weaknesses in the flesh. Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. Paul said, if anybody had reason to boast in the flesh, it'd be me. But listen, folks, I have no confidence in my flesh. It is in the subsequent verses <coughs> that we discover the purpose being referred to. Do you know what the purpose of God is referred to here? Have you ever thought about it? It is always good to meditate on Scripture because if you just read it and you don't give the Holy Spirit opportunity to shine light on what it is you're looking at, you miss amazing points. There's some incredible things in there. So the purpose is revealed in the highly relational statement, quote, the firstborn among many brethren, end quote. The purpose of God spoken of is being revealed by the Holy Spirit in that phrase, the firstborn among many brethren. The goal of God was... And still is relationship. Relationship. You have been called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? That you be in relationship with him. That's the purpose. The purpose is not speaking of what amazing thing you'll do and what kind of fame you'll accrue in this lifetime as a beloved saint of God. It has nothing to do with that. Now, that could happen. It could be that you, you rewrite the pages of history 
in the way that God uses you. If so, if that's part of his will and purpose in your life, that's fine. But the purpose being spoken of here in Romans 8 has nothing to do with that. The purpose being spoken of here in Romans 8, and if you read the entire chapter, you will find out that if you're going to stay in context, if you're going to flow with what the Spirit is speaking, you're going to find he's speaking about relationship with the Father. God's purpose is to redeem mankind <clears throat> to a place of relationship with God as Father. And this is why if God be for us, who can be against us is a valid question to be asked. If God has gone so far out of his way to make all this work, who can defeat that? It's the work of the Spirit to empower this relationship and make it alive and vibrant. Yes, yes. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not your work that does it. It's not your amazing prayer life that produces it. It's not your just gorging on the Word of God that causes it. Although you should spend loads of time in the Word of God. I greatly encourage you to let the Word of God enter into you. I greatly encourage you to pray. These are good exercises. But it's not <coughs> what produces what we're talking about. Hi, hi, hi. It's the work of the Spirit to sanctify, to aid us in being conformed to the family likeness. You see, being conformed to the image of Christ is not about the moral deeds of Christ as much as it is about the identity of Christ as the Son of God. He's not saying be morally perfect. What he's saying is learn to relate with the Father the way the Son does. Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, we are to be being conformed to what it means to be sons of God in full-on relationship with the Father as Jesus was. What would we find Romans to go on to say to us? All creation is groaning and waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Not talking about your or my exploits. It's talking about the way we relate with God. And how that looks, how that appears, how that manifests in our lives. I've run into people who spent their whole lives in churches. And when I would address God as father and I, I would talk just in a family relational kind of language about situations. They were like, you talk like you know God. I do know God. I know God very intimately. What do you mean you know him? And I hear his voice. What do you mean you hear his voice? What does he sound like? Now, that's a stupid question. 
What does he sound like? You're not genuine in your questions. You're trying to trap me because you're uncomfortable with the idea that I'm saying I know God. That he's my father. That I'm his son. That we have a relationship in which we talk to each other. We relate to each other. He guides me. He leads me. He sent me the Holy Spirit. For this very purpose. That I could have this relationship. Very real, very alive, very, just as real as you and I talking right now. As far as what he sounds like, scripture says that his voice is as the sound of many rushing waters. How do I describe to you what it sounds like to me when he speaks to me? I can't even tell you whether it's audible, measurable with a meter or not. But it's so real, it may as well be as far as I'm concerned. I'm not trying to be freaky or crazy or, or, or you know, fringy. I'm just telling you it's a real relationship that he forged himself and made possible. Scripture says that Jesus Christ came to bring many sons into glory. He came to make you and I sons and daughters of the living God, not subjects, sons and daughters, bathed in relationship with the Father. This is God's purpose revealed in Romans 8. This is what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are to be living by the means of the Holy Spirit by being fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit as sons. It's how Jesus came to earth and accomplished all that he did. Did you know that Jesus did not accomplish one solitary thing of his own accord? Do you know that? It's provable by Scripture. If I say something, it needs to be provable by Scripture. I stand with Martin Luther in the Reformation on that. It doesn't matter if you're the Pope. If you say something that can't be proven by Scripture, you just spoke stupidity. Doesn't matter what your title is, how high office you hold, how important the world may see you to be. You need to be able to confirm what you say by the Word of God. So the Word of God confirms. It confirms what I'm talking about being sons and daughters. It is part of what creation longs to see. The restoration. Another thing that would be confirmed is that Jesus did nothing of his own accord. Everything that Jesus did was by the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Everything he spoke, everything he did was by the Spirit. Jesus lived a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit. That day at the Jordan, the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased before Jesus had done anything. Why did he say that? Because he had already submitted himself to the baptism. And in the baptism at the Jordan, which was basically something that God orchestrated through the prophet John, the forerunner to the Messiah, Jesus submits to the righteousness that is there in that act. 
And as he does it, and he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, lights on Jesus. It lands on Jesus. And the Father, you, everybody heard it. This was not holy ventriloquism. The Trinity is at the River Jordan in the baptism. The Son is in the water just come up. The Holy Spirit has descended upon the Son in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father heard by all thunders from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well, ple- in whom I'm well pleased. <laughs> all three of the Godhead are there present at that moment in time. Amen. Jesus has done nothing yet. But what has he done? He's received the Holy Spirit. He surrendered himself to enter into his ministry here on earth under the power, the authority, and the work of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to utilize his own deity. He's not going to utilize his own status in heaven. He's not going to utilize any of that. He's going to be recognized as the son of man. And he's going to do everything that he does in a place of surrender and submission Philippians 2, Jesus, although it would have not have been robbery to consider himself equal with God, set aside his deity and became a man. Everything Jesus did, he did as a man. Submitted to the Holy Spirit. Why? To demonstrate relationship. It was about relationship. How many times did he have to say to the Jewish leaders, you do dishonor me and dishonor my father? Why? Because they criticized him for saying God was his father. And then they accused him of having the devil. They accused him of doing the things that he was doing supernaturally by the power of Beelzebub. When in truth, it was a Holy Spirit working. Oh, if I could just get this to settle on hearts. This is what conformed to his image is about. You want to be conformed to the image of Christ? Surrender to the Holy Spirit. Engage in the relationship that Jesus Christ gave his life for you to have. Some people, they're happy to say I'm saved. But for whatever reason, they're reluctant to go further in this trust relationship with the Holy Spirit. As though the Holy Spirit is somehow altogether different from God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son in such a way as to be afraid of him or something. Or wary of what he might ask you to do. (laughs) there's something that takes place when the Holy Spirit comes on you in power not just to indwell you but to overshadow you overflow you with his anointing he has so many roles in your life and my life he's a comforter He's a teacher. He's a guide. He's an empowerer. He's a keeper. 
Everything Jesus did was in surrender to the will of the Holy Spirit and was accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was purely from a place of relationship, reliance, and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who aided Jesus in every act of obedience. This is why Jesus is not ashamed to be the one who baptizes his disciples in the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist said, there's one coming who's mightier than I am, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to lace. I'm not, I, I'm not allowed to take the sandals and wrap the straps around his ankles. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I don't understand why some people are so reluctant about baptism in the Holy Spirit when Christ is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Well, I trust Jesus, but that baptism in the Holy Spirit stuff gets a little too weird for my liking. Jesus is the one that's doing that. Yep. Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Amen. I remember when I was first baptized in the Holy Spirit, my only background was Southern Baptist growing up. Vacation Bible schools, Southern Baptist Church, Sunday school classes, all that. Of course, I went my way of rebellion as a young man in, in his teens, into my early 20s, <clears throat> come to Christ, you know, in my, in my near, mid, near to mid, early, early 20s, <laughs> trying to figure this one out. Anyway, <laughs> shortly after coming to Christ, I remember laying in my bed in the trailer, Mark and Sue had out off Route 1 Miller Road and Halls, and just laying, I had this tiny bedroom that they let me have to, to bed down in at the time. And I'm laying on my bed, and I just read the heavens couldn't contain him. The earth couldn't contain him. He was just too great, too massive. To, he filled all in all. It's scripture out of Isaiah. And I thought about that scripture, and I thought about that scripture, and I began to pray, and I began to pray and say, God, if this is true, there's probably a whole lot about who you are and what you do and everything about you that I haven't experienced or don't know yet. I'll take whatever you have to give me. I will take it. It's a bold statement. I made that statement. I don't know how long a time transpired, but eventually I found myself saying, God, please stop or I'm going to die. I felt like voltage, high voltage electricity was going through my body from the soles of my feet to the top of my head. I felt like my whole bed would catch on fire if this didn't stop. I got up off of that. Bed after that all took place, the next day was a Sunday. I got there on Sunday, and the Holy Spirit was moving me. All I know is, is I got there, and I could hear the voice of God so clearly and so plainly telling me what to do and what to say. <laughs> and I did it. <laughs> and people were repenting. And the presence of God was filling up that little country church building. And they didn't know what to do about it. They never had anything like this happen. Heck, I had never had anything like this happen. <laughs> but it was happening. And when they asked me, what is this? What? I couldn't tell them. I didn't know. I hadn't read about it in the Bible. I knew nothing about it. I knew I trusted Jesus. And I knew I had told the Father that I'd take whatever... And something happened. So eventually a friend invites me to the church. 
where I ended up that sent me out to plant this church. And at that night service, my friend didn't show up like he was supposed to, but Bobby Ewing did. Bobby and I went in. The worship was playing. There was a cloud in the downstairs of this church. You couldn't see the people, but you could hear the, pre- the praise going on. You could feel the presence of God so powerfully you couldn't stand. And I remember that as the worship ended, a man began to get up and talk. And as he began to get up and talk, the cloud began to lift. Not that he was unanointed. It's just the way it played out. And I looked down and it was a set of drums I had sold to a church many years before. And they'd been praying for me to know Jesus. And that man got up that night and spoke about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it all made absolute perfect sense to me. Before that, it wouldn't have made a lick of sense to me. But now everything he was saying landed on a heart that was open. A heart that was made new in Christ. And made perfect sense. And I'm like, that's what this has been. That's what I've been doing. Holy moly, it's in the Bible. Wow. Well, that just encouraged me more. So I began doing it in the workplace. Come on. Why should there be a boundary on what the Holy Spirit can do and where he can do it? Jesus did it in the marketplace. (laughs) So I began to move in the gifts in the workplace. And they didn't know what to do with me in the workplace. They were like, what is this that you're doing? I say, it's just the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how I began to define everything. It's just the work of the Holy Spirit. It's just the work of the Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit you keep talking about? Well, he's part of the Godhead. The Godhead. And these were people who have been in church for decades. Been a part of the church, an active part, gave their money there every Sunday. My biggest persecutors were churchgoers. The sinners didn't have that big a problem with me. They were pretty excited about it because I was upsetting the religious folk. Yielding to the Holy Spirit is conformity to the image of Christ. It's not always easy. Because you want to question, your flesh wants to question what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you. I don't have time to go into all of that. We can't do that today. But we'll wrap up what this means to be conformed to his image today. How's that? Jesus is not ashamed to be the one who baptizes his disciples in the Holy Spirit with fire. Luke three sixteen says, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What is fire? Fire, supernaturally, is the purifying agency of God. It's that work and power in the Holy Spirit that causes us to want the things that God wants. All of a sudden, you find yourself, you couldn't muster it up before, but all of a sudden, you just find yourself wanting things that God wants. 
I don't understand why people are afraid of the Holy Spirit baptism. Because had it not been for the Holy Spirit baptism, I'd have been just a carnal Christian. Just a carnally minded Christian. I would have gone to church. I'd have done all that probably. But I wouldn't have been in living in the victory. I wouldn't have been living in the place where the inner drive of my being wants what God wants. You, you understand what I'm saying? Jesus desires that anyone belonging to him be baptized with fire and the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus desires that every follower of his is endued with power from on high so that they might walk according to the Holy Spirit as opposed to trying to be his disciple in their own strength and power according to the flesh. There is now, Romans 8, no condemnation. To who? To those who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. You might not understand why I do something that I do. Doesn't matter. Can't condemn me for it. As long as I can confidently look you in the eyes and say, I'm just following the Holy Spirit. And it's confirmed in the Word that it's a proper action to take. I don't even have to justify it. I don't have to tell you anything. I can just look at you and say, I'm sorry you feel that way. And go on my merry little way in the joy of the Lord, not thinking a thing of it. I don't know about you, but I love the freedom that Christ gives to his disciples when he baptizes them in the Spirit. Do you understand, if it had not been the Holy Spirit, Peter could have never gone to Cornelius' house. That's a break with tradition, saints. To go into a Gentile's home as a Jew, the way that Peter did, he had to have a vision. It was such a time of transition and new covenant reality and understanding. He had to have a vision with the sheet coming down. And what I call clean, don't call unclean. Get up, rise up, kill and eat, Peter. And then the, the, the Holy Spirit had to give Peter the interpretation. When the people showed up and said, you need to come with us. He, okay. Holy Spirit says, I got to go. He didn't have time to consult the elders of Jerusalem. He didn't have time to consult with the other apostles. You guys think I'm hearing God or not? He had to go. And thank God he did go. Because he went and he couldn't even preach an entire message. The Holy Spirit fell on the household of Cornelius and they all spoke with other tongues. One of the evidences of the baptism. They spoke with other tongues and as Gentiles speaking with other tongues, Peter knew immediately they got the same gift the Jews had gotten. And by knowing that they got the same gift the Jews had gotten, Peter's like, who can forget, for, forbid water baptized water? If they've got the Spirit, they're new creations. They've believed in Jesus. They're part of his kingdom too. Hey, let's water baptize these guys. Come on. Come on. And so they baptized them in water. Up until that point, only Jews had been baptized in water. But the Holy Spirit moved Peter 
to act. Yeah. Out of step with what he as a Jew had held on to for so long in tradition. He moved him outside the bounds of his limitations. He brought him into freedom. Yes. Freedom to be, to do, to go, and wherever God says. And thank God he did. Because later on, we find that it's Peter's statement with regard to Cornelius that causes the apostles to realize the Gentiles are coming into the kingdom of God and we can't expect them to come under Jewish law and tradition. And they give them only four things going forward. Now today, a lot of people would like to bring the church back under a whole bunch more. But there's not that. The apostolic letter is the authoritative letter for the church. And there is freedom in that letter. You have the freedom in Christ to walk according to the Spirit. This is about being made new creations so that we can become a habitation for the Spirit. And that means an 80-year-old man can engage in relationship with the Father by grace, through faith, in Jesus, and according to the working of the Holy Spirit in his life, just the same as a 20-year-old can. Or 30, or 40, or 50. Because it's not about whether you can mimic the physical actions. It's about whether you can engage in the relationship. And as you engage in the relationship, anything the Holy Spirit tells you you can do, you can do it. Amen. Caleb, in his 80s, came back and said, hey, Joshua, we were given a promise. I want this mountainside. A mountainside. 80. Okay, go take it. And he gets his guys together and they go fight and take it. In his 80s. Think about that. When you walk according to the Spirit, you don't have to worry about whether you have the means, the capability, anything. Anything the Holy Spirit will ever ask you to do, He gives you the power to do it and the resources necessary to get it done. There is never going to be a time the Holy Spirit says, here's what I want you to do, now go figure it out. See if you've got what it takes. No, no. Peter couldn't walk on water. But if Jesus calls him out of the boat and he's responding to the call, he can walk on water. You could say, we well, yeah, but he saw that wave and he sang. Have you even taken one step on water yet? I think it's pretty incredible the dude got out of the boat and did what he did. What was that meant to tell us? That anything that you are called by God into, Amen. he will make it possible for you to do. Amen. He's not asking you to do what's got to be done about it. He's asking you to simply walk with him in it. Yeah. Yep. That's why an 80-year-old can be conformed to the image of Christ just the same as a young boy or girl might. To expect something other than the exercise of relationship charged and fueled by the Holy Spirit is to be inconsistent and to set yourself up for disappointment. It is a vain imagination that thinks a mere man can do what Jesus did. If somebody ever comes to you and says, I could have done what Jesus did, 
You need to wag your head and say, our conversation comes to a close now. There are people who have said that. It's utter arrogance to think that any man could do what Jesus did by sheer willpower and according to the strength of his own flesh. It's akin to thinking that you could keep the law for righteousness. And you can't. You never have and you never will. That's why we needed Jesus to come. Being conformed to the image of the Son of God means being in total surrender to the Holy Spirit. And we can't even begin to know what we ought to know concerning Jesus without the help of the Holy Spirit. So being conformed to his image and learning to rely on the Holy Spirit and everything the Father has called you to be and to do is the beginning of being conformed to his image. That's where it starts. He's always going to promote Jesus. Cultivate a reverence for our Lord and Savior in our hearts. You don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. You don't. He's your friend. You can no more be like Jesus by the power of your own will and flesh than you can visit the moon by simply willing to do so. You'd have a better chance at going to the moon than you would being, being like Jesus in the power of your flesh. But you know what? You can be conformed to his image as a son and engage in relationship with the Father by the Holy Spirit. 